Hello, this is David Thompson with a call for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in their lives and the understanding of the purpose of all things, which is found in the source of reality, which is an ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, which is who the one true eternal God is. Before I go on, I want to share with those that are new that you can go to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you can read a flip book, which is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And you will find that there is much of the print here and there that is highlighted in red. Those are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos which you can watch, which highly confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I'm sharing here. Now, today is New Year's. It's December the 31st of 2022, New Year's Eve, on Saturday. I'm not sharing any particular special message in regards to the New Year, although that might come out by the gifting of the spirit of prophecy in the preaching. I want to share with those that are not familiar of how I share these messages, how they are shared. The word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. This is particularly true for believers when they are gathered together around Jesus Christ who is God manifest in personage in the creation realm. Of course, there's three ultimate aspects to existence. This is kind of a side note here. The other is what is beyond creation, and then there's the creation realm, and then there is omnipresence. For God to be almighty, he must be able to rule with conscious intelligence or personage in those three ultimate aspects of existence. So as the Father, he is beyond time and space in personage. As the Son, he is within the time and space realm, limiting himself to the experience of the time and space realm in some measure to experience it and to communicate with creation as the Son. And Jesus Christ, the Son, is the full expression of God the Father. It is God being communicated in personage with his creation. Not that the Father doesn't have communication as well, but that that is a function to rule in that realm. Because if you're in a realm and you're not in conscious intelligence in that realm, you couldn't rule over it, obviously. And of course, the third ultimate aspect of existence is omnipresence, that God is attached to every particle of existence with his intelligence and presence and power to be able to instantly raise the dead or whatever else. And so that is God in personage as the Holy Spirit. So for God to be almighty, he must be in three personages or he wouldn't be almighty if he could not rule over those three ultimate aspects of existence. Well, that's a little bit of a side note. I want to get on to sharing about this 1 Peter 4.11. When people gather together as believers, 
they are to seek to allow God by his Spirit to speak through them. Beyond themselves. This was the normal common practice of the church in the beginning, and it is greatly lacking today, but God is about to begin to move as never before to bring forth this in a greater way than has ever been before. Now, there's another verse in Revelations 19.10 that amplifies on this verse that says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth out of great reverence and love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that results in creative utterances that are beyond ourselves, in other words, that are prophetic or that are speaking as the oracles of God. Basically, that's what it means to speak as the oracles of God. It means to speak <coughs> prophetically, <clears throat> not in the sense of telling the future, but in the sense of speaking whatever God by his spirit is speaking, whether it's about the future or whatever else. So today I want to point out also that I cast lots to get the possibility of any chapter in the Bible with a random application. I use two random applications to get two chapters so that those two chapters would bear witness with each other by the power of God's providence as to what the theme is. And so it is today and consistently that God does give two chapters that bear witness with each other and also with the message the day before and the day before that most often as well. I don't do this lightly. The word of God says in Proverbs 16, 33, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. I do this out of great reverence. And if you have unconfessed sin in your life or you're not walking in a right relationship with God or in a love relationship with God, this won't work and it will probably be divination if it did. And God forbid that you should be committing that. So I do this because God's led me to do it and it works powerfully so that I will facilitate speaking prophetically as the oracles of God. So I want to share today the two chapters I received and I only spent a half an hour meditating on those chapters and then I speak. <clears throat> and so today I will be speaking on the two chapters I received not only today but yesterday as I didn't have the occasion as much as I wanted to to speak yesterday because of some needs that were pressing upon someone where I needed to help them. So, first of all, I also seek for God to lead me by the casting of Lot to a worship song. Excuse me, I'm about to sneeze. Oh, just about sneeze. <clears throat> so this worship song, I also get got by the leading of God's Spirit for today. I did have one for yesterday as I thought I was going to preach. And um, I can't find it, but it was quite very fitting to the message I would have given if I would have given that message yesterday. And that was in relation to captivity and how God uses captivity 
to bring the people of God to a place of spiritual breakthrough and liberation into a beautiful love relationship with him. Today, I will first, we will first go into the worship song that I received today, and we will worship together with this song, which is from 1,257th possible songs that I choose. And I always choose ones where the words are on the internet so that you can easily um, play it on your overhead projector if you're connected to the internet and can display a YouTube video. And so the one today is How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. Here we go. Try on in the blossom 
Wonderful. Tis manna to the hungry soul. And we did, the last time I preached, touch on Revelations, I believe it is 21.6. That one of the secrets to being an overcomer and living a victorious life is to never quench the hunger and the thirst of God in our lives. By the loves of this world, but to always have a place in our heart that is most holy and that expands out to consume anything that is not of God in our lives, in our heart. Hunger and thirst is very important as described there in Revelations 21.6. It says that he will give to him that is a thirst freely of the fountain of the water of life. And right after that, it says, but the fearful and the abominable and the unbelieving and so on and so forth will have their part in the lake. All liars and so on shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. And it is when we are filled with the love of God, that God, by his Spirit, is able to prevail because we're not filled with the loves of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But the secret to being filled with the love of God is to have that thirst that comes by casting off the loves of the world out of a pursuit to seek God and find what we know will really only be real and satisfying in our lives and will ever enlarge in greater fulfillment. And that is God's Spirit dwelling within our being and its purpose to glorify God and swallow up all those things in our lives that would take us away from a relationship with Him. I am going to now turn to the passages that I received today on December the 31st and also what I received yesterday. First of all, today, I received by the casting of Lot before God, Ezekiel 44 and 1 Peter 2. Yesterday, I received... Jeremiah 29 and Ezekiel 28. And the common theme yesterday in those two chapters describes the captivity of Israel and how God uses that to restore them to himself and to become his corporate bride in the last days. 
And today is also kind of an offshoot of that, except the emphasis is more on God's tabernacling with us. And so I'm just here to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship that I may speak these words, not knowing what I'm going to share by the Spirit of God now. And so we begin reading in Ezekiel 44, beginning in verse 2, Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, that's Yahweh, the God of Israel, or the Almighties of Israel in the original, which refers to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, hath entered in by it, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate and shall go out by the way of the same. Then brought he me the way of the north gate before the house. And I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord and I fell upon my face. This, of course, is referring to when the Lord returns. And there is a gate, as you know, in Jerusalem today, and I believe it's the east gate, that is sealed shut, shut and has been waiting for that prince to come through that gate, which will indeed happen in the very, I believe, near future. When you see the way things are happening in the world, it is pretty evident that we are living in a time that points to the very soon return of Jesus Christ. And this glory that was in the northern gate that Ezekiel saw caused him to fall upon his face before God. And I can tell you, if you are ever in the presence of God and his glory begins to come down in a heavy weight of fullness, you cannot even stand in his presence. You find yourself down, lying on your face before God or on your back or however you fall in the presence or on your knees. And I had a dream, and I don't have a lot of dreams, but I had a dream yesterday night. And in this dream, there was a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God that came. There were certain ones that were really interceding, and the Spirit of God came upon them first. They were in deep intercession, and God began to seize them in an intercession that went way beyond the normal of what they were experiencing. And then that presence broke out, and it spread to the congregation. And the glory of God came down in such power that it spread out from that congregation and there was indications in the dream that it was spreading out and out, touching other congregations. And people were on their face before God. The glory was unspeakable. There was a baptism of love beyond comprehension. As people were coming together, and not all of this last part that I'm talking now, although I did see it in another dream earlier in my walk with the Lord. Not, you know, I may have been uh, six months ago or whatever. I don't know. But people were coming together that had been in many ways hurt by each other and divided because of different things 
and false accusations and things that they were wanting to believe were legitimate, maybe that weren't so legitimate and so on. They were coming together even though they were offended initially and divided from each other. They were coming back together. <clears throat> and the glory of God began to come down as I just described. I have had dreams many times, not a whole bunch of times, I shouldn't say many times, a number of times. Even here in Langley of a particular place where the glory of God came down and we were just there and we were not conscious of people. We were there just on our face before God and we the presence was so strong you couldn't stand in it. I was trying to stand and I couldn't. I could feel the presence of God in the dream. It was overwhelming. We strong. And God is about to bring a mighty outpouring of his spirit on those that are hungry and thirsty upon the remnant of his people in this hour. I believe probably in the very next short while in this coming year. He's also going to bring deliverance in the land. There's going to be a time of the reaping of the harvest. Right now we are in the time where the word of the Spirit is saying, as it said in the scripture, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We are in a time where people are seeing all the institutions being exposed as totally corrupt that they thought weren't. They're finding out how they've been lied to about COVID. They're finding out all the corruption that has been happening in the health system, in the educational system, in the news media. God is going to expose it as never before in this coming year. And as it's exposed, people are going to be devastated. They're going to see that there's no hope in this world, that there's no hope that they can't have their nice little comfortable world anymore. And it's going to shake up their priorities. So they realize that they are not living for what is real. And there's going to be people that are ripe, that are hungry, that are thirsty, that are searching. And God wants his people to be ready for this great gathering of the harvest that is described in Revelations 14 that will happen before the great harvest, the great judgment that happens when the second angel, which has power over fire, puts his sickle in and the wine press is filled to the horse's bridle with the judgment of God. But before that serious judgment comes upon the earth, God is allowing a time, a short time of deliverance and of a great gathering of the harvest. So I want to read with, continue to read here in Ezekiel. Going down to verse 6, it says, And thou shalt say to the rebellious, even to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, O ye house of Israel, let it suffice you, of all your abominations in that ye have brought into my sanctuary strangers uncircumcised in heart and uncircumcised in flesh to be in my sanctuary, to pollute it, even my house, when ye offer my bread, the fat and the blood, and they have broken my covenant because of all your abominations. <clears throat> Israel was off worshiping idols and 
all kinds of abominable things. And yet somehow thinking they could still be the people of God and obviously totally deceived. But God emphasizes that it's not just that they were uncircumcised in flesh. The important thing, of course, is that they were uncircumcised in heart. And one needs to understand that when it's talking about an uncircumcised heart, it is talking about someone that has never been born again of the Spirit. Yes, brothers and sisters, Christ expected Nicodemus to know what it meant to be born again of the Spirit before he died on the cross and rose again. And people were born in the Spirit from the time of Enoch who walked so close with God he was translated. Do you really think he wasn't born of the Spirit? Come on. Oh, I thought people could only be born again after Christ rose from the dead. No. I could go into this, but why should I get sidetracked on this too much? I'll just emphasize there is a difference between before Christ and after Christ. It is in the fact that only after Christ could the soul and the spirit be cleansed so that the spirit of God could imbue and saturate or indwell. It says in John 14, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Before, the body and the flesh could only be cleansed by animal sacrifices, allowing the Spirit of God to dwell with their soul and spirit. But because God could dwell with their soul and spirit, when their spirit opened up as a clenched fish and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and their soul, the Spirit of God, like another open hand, came against that open hand, and now you have two hands of prayer, and those hands can't close, and there's a new nature, as described in First John. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And the faith is by the Spirit of God dwelling in us that it is sustained in a new nature. And they experience the same from the time of Enoch. A circumcised heart is that two-edged sword that breaks the state of the spirit that worships the soul, open as a seed to receive the presence in the life of God. And they did also experience that circumcision in their heart where they cried out, like the publican that Christ pointed out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. From the depths of their being, they cried out for mercy and for forgiveness. And God is wanting his people to know what it is to also walk with a circumcised heart circumspectly before him. Because it says in the word of God, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Brothers and sisters, we should always be in a place where we're spending much time seeking God in prayer until we sense that softness, that breaking, that breakthrough. It is worth the price to wait on God. It is worth the price to spend. If you're working, I understand is more difficult. If you're retired like me, well, I spend hours in prayer each day. At least two hours, usually two hours and more if I can, up to three. It is important to be in a time of vital abiding and communion with God until we know an intimacy and an overflow of his life. 
So many of us have become hardened in our hearts and indifferent, and we've lost our hunger and our thirst for God. And then we're wondering why we missed out the visitation of God in our lives. Let us not be those that miss out in this coming visitation. I want to go on and read what it says here. This is what God is wanting. He is wanting his house of prayer and holiness to be restored where those that are in the presence of God are those that also are seeking him very much so in their individual life. You know, it's better to have a church service on Sunday that starts at around two o'clock in the afternoon so people can prepare well with devotions and prayer in their personal life. And then when you have a meeting, you have a long meeting where you can really break through instead of two meetings where you, because of time, can't break through the same way. That's in my book. That's one of the suggestions in the book I've written called God Headship and Body Invasion, which shares everything you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. God is wanting us as his people to come into a mighty love relationship with him as we've never known. Goes on to say here, to be in my sanctuary, to pollute it, even my house, when ye offer my bread. Okay, I read all of that. Thus saith the Lord God, no stranger uncircumcised in heart, nor uncircumcised in flesh shall enter into my sanctuary of any stranger that is among the children of Israel. <clears throat> I want to go on here and skip down to verse 17. And it says, And it shall come to pass that when they enter in at the gate of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments, and no wool shall come upon them, whilst they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen bonnets upon their heads, and they shall have linen breeches upon their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. And when they go forth into the utter court, even into the utter court to the people, they shall put off their garments wherein they ministered and lay them in the holy chambers. And they shall put on other garments and they shall not sanctify the people with their garments. Neither shall they shave their heads nor suffer their locks to grow long. They shall only pull their heads. Neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. <clears throat> God is calling us as his people to enter into the inner court in this hour or into a place with God corporately that we've never entered into before. That requires that we come to a place where our own strivings cease and we learn to wait on God, to be still and know that he is God in the assembly. You know, it reminds me of a hymn that says, Jesus, Jesus, I am resting in the joy of who you are. I am finding out the greatness of your loving heart. I was told that hymn was created at the time of the Boxer Rebellion when hundreds and hundreds of missionaries were martyred by the Chinese. Hudson Taylor, I believe, was behind that hymn. Are we learning 
to come into his presence in such a way that we are so in awe of him, that we're more conscious of him in our midst, that we are just literally enthralled in a loving relationship with him that isn't out of strife, that isn't out of striving, but is out of delight in who he is. Out of great reverence. When you really love someone, there's great reverence. You don't treat them as common. You treat them as precious. You know, I can go on to share a lot more in the circumcised heart. I often emphasize the nature of God, which is love. That his love is first integrous or integral. His love is an agape love. An agape love is beyond the filio. It's whether there's the filio with it or not is not the issue. Agape love always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Any lesser choice as such obviously would have a measure of corruption in it. <clears throat> Agape love is the destroyer of corruption, the opposite of corruption. Because agape love has integrity. <clears throat> to judge all that is contrary to love, to this love that chooses the highest lasting good. Agape love is a consuming fire of love, of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is the holiness of God. And it is reciprocating, choosing in our heart to reciprocate the holiness of God that is first so important. And that is what is involved in the genuine fear of God. It is a choice to turn in our heart and to recognize that God's holiness is a good and not be deceived like Cain, to be focusing on the consequences of his severity in our own lives and in this world of suffering that is the consequence of the holiness of God, but to focus on the fact that God's holiness is good because he is judging corruption so that there can be a destiny in our lives without corruption that goes on forever in heaven. And heaven is also conquering the earth through his people to usher in the kingdom of God in these last days because he's wanting to awaken a people that will be a conquering bride of his in these last days across your nation. The issue for conquering your nation from all the corruption that is obviously in it in the United States, which is the epicenter in Canada here and around the world, <clears throat> it is a mighty turning back a new order coming into the body of Christ and that new order totally aligns with the headship of Christ and will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly <clears throat> and that means that we become more conscious of Christ in our midst than of a program that we're running and of the people at the front we become caught up with worshiping Christ. We begin, we forget about pre-service prayer meetings and we make the church service a prayer meeting. We restore his house to being a house of prayer. And we become so conscious of that. And out of that comes song and worship and praise and the gifts of the Spirit. And at the end, the leadership can speak as the Spirit leads them to speak. And their message has already been confirmed by the prophetic utterances that came through each member of the body. And that's what has to happen in these last days. Is his church to be restored into this fullness. Where we do not limit 
God removing through each member of the body. They don't need to ask permission to use the mic because you're worried about a little bit of a mess. You let God speak and move by his spirit through the members and you facilitate it. And if they're so used to being passive, you get them used to not being passive by having some meetings where they can share a little sermon for five minutes and let all of them have an opportunity to get used to sharing the word of God. Not out of intellect, but out of learning to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship to speak prophetically. How little of that is even happening in the leadership, let alone the assembly in these days. God is calling his people to come out of the world and not to love the world or to glory in their own work and their own righteousness, but to delight in him and to be at his feet like Mary, not to be in a dither and sweating over this and that and over all these programs that you got to do or you're in a sweat over it all. And God says, I don't want sweat in my presence. I'm tired of all your programs and your work. I am wanting you to come before me and to just love me and be at my feet as Mary and make my house a house of prayer and a house of holiness and repent of loving the gods of amusement that so many have been taken up with, which is sports and all of these things that they spend hours on instead of praying, that has quenched their thirst and caused their lives to be cut short many times in many cases because of loving the world. And the reason lives are cut short many times is because if they continued on, they would get further away from God to the place that maybe they wouldn't enter the kingdom of God. It says, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Whose house we are. God is wanting in these last days his house to be restored, living stones to become again a habitation of God through the Spirit. And there are many stones that God's been working on for years. And he has an appointed time in his sovereignty and power to connect you together as never before. And this is what is about to happen. Because when this harvest comes in, there must be a house that contains these people and causes them this time not to come to some church that is half in love with the world, that disillusions them and causes them to be hurt and end up back in a worse state than maybe they were before in some cases. That's just Ezekiel. I haven't even got to 1 Peter 2.4 that I received today by the casting of Lot. And here we read this, beginning in verse 4. To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Is he precious to you, or do you talk about sports in the middle of worship service to stumble God's people so that they do not seek him? 
I'm not saying it's wrong to watch sports and to put someone under bondage of the letter of the law. I'm saying when those things become such an occupation in your life to take up your time and energy instead of seeking God, you are not walking in the love of God. You have lost your first love relationship with him. Whether it's sports, whether it's your material pursuits for your own comforts that you pursue more than you do seeking God in your personal life and and the welfare of his people. There's a price to pay to trust him. Yes, you may have to give up a high-paying job and be a lot poorer the rest of your life. And yeah, maybe God will bless you later with greater riches. The question is, we must turn from our wicked ways. We must turn from the ways of this world that consume us in busyness and get us in a turmoil so that we lose out and we don't have the power of God in our lives to bring deliverance and transformation to those around us. And so I continue to read here. The stone which the builders disallowed the same has made the head of the corner and a stone is stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And then it says in verse 11, <clears throat> Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And we all experience the temptation of lust, including me. And I'm not perfect. I've had times when I've slipped. And I felt really terrible when I do. And I confess my sin and I repent. But I have noticed that there are teachers in the charismatic movement that seem to be teaching that you can entertain lusts in your soul towards other women or men or whatever it is. But the word of God says that Christ doesn't want in our hearts for us to be entertaining such things. It's not easy. Especially if you're single like me all your life. And you're a normal human being that wants a wife. And I still believe in God for a wife. But if I don't receive a wife, I'm married to God. I have everything I need. I certainly don't want a wife that would pull me away from God, but one that would do the opposite. That has the same passion and vision. But these things must be acknowledged. It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ even said, if you look on a woman so much as to lust of her after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. Yes, God's holiness, the integrity of his love is severe and it's easy to begin to deceive ourselves and listen to teachers that say, oh, God doesn't mind if you do this. God doesn't mind if you do that. But that's not what the scripture teaches. It teaches that we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And yes, 
then our soul will conquer. Our soul will be saturated with the fullness of life. And God can still bless us with those natural things once he can entrust us with them. Now I want to go back again to just briefly touch on what I received yesterday because I hardly shared anything on that. And all I can do for time is touch on it. I really wanted to give a powerful message on this. But that's okay. Both of these chapters yesterday are on Israel coming out of captivity in the last days and about his dealings with them. I don't know. I guess I'll first read Jeremiah 29, which is more about what was happening at Israel at that time. But this is what it says, starting in verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Yes, they experienced terrible tragedy, war, their land being totally destroyed, and many of their people executed and tortured. But now they've been in captivity 70 years. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go, and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me, and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Is it worth finding a close relationship with God, yes. Just seek him and search for him with all your heart. It's not some hard thing to seek God with all your heart. If you come before him with a delight in who he is and what he's done in your life and you begin to love upon him and to praise him and worship him, forget about the time. I always set the time when I pray because I, you know, but I find the time goes and I'm hardly conscious of it once I get carried away in worship and in praying for others. And I will gather you from all nations and from all places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into this place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. And then we go on. And in Ezekiel, the Lord prophesies about what will happen to them. And also in Ezekiel, there's a prophecy in Ezekiel 28 of um, the fall of, well, it basically it, Ezekiel 28 is of pride and is of Satan. It's describing the fall of Satan here. And man, I could give a powerful sermon in more detail on this amazing chapter, but there's no time now because it's getting too late. But I will just touch on it. It says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the sea. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God? You see, this king was a very extremely wise king. They say he was even wiser than Solomon, I suppose. I remember reading something like that. And he was saying that he was God. But thou shalt not be, 
So he says this, will you before will you say before the one that's slaying you that you're God? But thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slays you. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith Adonai Yahweh. That's what it is in the original. Then we go on. And it says this, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou stealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now this is talking first about the king of Tyrus, and then it's talking about what possessed the king of Tyrus, which was Satan. It was only Satan. The king of Tyrus wasn't in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, and the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub. Now, that's not the king King Tyrus. That's who was possessing King Tyrus and influencing him, obviously, through that possession. So he got his wisdom from Satan. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down. Now the holy mountain of God, the mountain of God, refer, mountain refers to the government of God. The holy government of God Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, the stones of fire are around the throne of God. I know that because I've written a book called Afterlife, Incredible, Irrefutable, which has just been published on Amazon, which is 367 pages in print. It's better to get it in Kindle because there's many links in it. But all those that are true believers, many more than one, have described these stones of fire that they saw around the throne of God. So in the book, I describe those stones of fire in detail as described by those that saw it when they were dead for over an hour and a half, highly confirmed as dead by doctors. And it goes on to say, by the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the government of God or the mountain of God, and I will destroy the old covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. He's going to be cast out of heaven, as described in Revelation 11, or no, 12. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings and they that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Then it goes on to describe Israel being restored in the last days, starting in verse 25. That went to verse 18. Thus saith the Lord God, when I shall have gathered the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered, and shall be sanctified in them in the sight of the heathen, then shall they dwell in their land. 
that I have given to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell safely therein, and shall build houses and plant vineyards, and that will be the millennial reign of Christ. And they shall dwell with confidence when I have executed judgments upon all those to despise them round about, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God. And my, I could go on speaking for a long time on this because it is so relevant. And I will point out in the end what God is wanting to point out that is about to happen upon the earth in these last days. And that's from Ezekiel 38, beginning in verse 18. And it says this, And it shall come to pass at that time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face, for in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence, and the mountains shall be thrown down, and the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood, and I will rain upon him and upon his band, and upon the many people that are with him, and overflowing rain, and great hailstones, and fire and brimstone, thus will I magnify myself, and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. That, I believe, will happen to bring in the end-time harvest before the return of Christ. This is a fort. Uh, cycle, if you can call it. There's more and more, there's greater and greater cycles till there's the ultimate cycle. There's the same pattern that repeats itself over in history of anti those that are possessed like uh, the king of Tyrus with Satan that have terribly persecuted Israel, such as Adolf Hitler, Adolf, Adolf Hitler, which is the seventh beast described in Revelations uh, 19. And in this case here, we have God's judgment coming so that he is known as the only one true monotheistic, true God at that time. And all the false gods and false tem temples will fall at that time. There will be a great harvest of souls. The body of Christ will come together as his conquering bride church but then the Antichrist and that system takes over towards the end. And then there's a, the final cycle of judgment where the Antichrist is destroyed. This is most likely the way things will unfold. God is wanting you to be part of this end time move of his spirit. So thank you for listening to this message, brothers and sisters. And God bless you all. Support me by purchasing my book. I am in need, very serious need financially right now, but I'm trusting God so that I can be free because I want to focus totally on evangelism and seeing this book I've written, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, that the vision is caught across the land of the United States. This is what is necessary to conquer your nation with the gospel so that there can be a prevailing 
and a great minimization of the judgment of God upon the United States and upon Canada and other nations of the world that turn back to him in these last days. Thank you for listening to this message.